0: That's the key to critical thinking is understanding that you are not your thoughts, that those are separate, and that you have control over whether you engage with those or not. You have control over whether you like it, you don't like it, you want to put it to the side, you want to engage with it. You have control, but it's that separation that people have a hard time with.
1: Matt, what a pleasure. I'm really glad we're here today. And God, I've spent a lot of time listening to your content and your philosophies and just. I mean, man, it sounds like you got a lot on your plate. You seem to be doing a lot more than the average guy, and or even the exceptional guy. Everything, every time I listen to something or see something about you, you're in a different. You got your hand in a different pie, and I'm just really grateful you took the time out of your busy schedule and life and family life, and took the time to share with us some stuff today. Thank you.
0: Uh, honor's mine man yeah no never hurting for uh, for something to do but, uh, <laughs> but it's part of but but this is part of what i get to do i get to talk to really cool people about really cool things you know and so that's i don't take it for granted man at all so cool, i appreciate man. you
1: epic sweet so i'd love to just do a bit of reflection looking back over the past 12 months and then maybe looking forward for the 12 you know coming 12 months for you if we're looking back over the last 12 months what's something that you're super
0: proud of and that's gone really well for you in reflection that's an easy one man it's an easy one so you know in these last 12 months we started extending what we were doing on the educational side everything i do is is i consider it to be under the education umbrella Um, when i was speaking to fortune 500s all over the world and doing 70 80 keynotes a year that was education i was building schools and and building out school communities that's education as i'm helping other entrepreneurs build out schools it's education Um, And something here within the last 12 months is we launched very specifically the education for men that we wanted to see. Um, You know, there's phenomenal men out there. There's phenomenal leaders out there. There are phenomenal guys in this, you know, so-called male education space or men's personal development space, whatever you want to call it. There's some amazing guys, and I'm friends with the majority of them. Um, and we just wanted to do something a little differently, um, and take it from a little bit of a different approach. So we launched that in January. Uh, and we have, you know, a few hundred men at this point who are just crushing things. And I hate to say that. And I hate to, cause it sounds so cliche, but man, when I've got more wives reaching out almost than men who are going, Hey, by the way. This is the best thing that's ever happened to our entire family. When I've got young kids reaching out, going, "Thank you for helping my dad," when I like those conversations are happening, then that's a that's a big deal to us, man. So so really proud about what's going on on the men's side.
1: Awesome. And if we're looking forward, twelve months into the future, what are you really excited about? What are you looking forward to?
0: Yeah. So so we talk about our mission here on you know on the Apogee side. We're talking about reseeding. The sovereign and free society through education and turning education, you know, completely upside down. So we talk about all these different components of what we do as fingers on on the hand, right? That hand is grasping freedom, but it's, there's the fingers on here. So we've got our our young men's program that we've had, you know, for for now for a couple of years, right? We've got our men's program that's another finger. Um, what we are launching here in October is our women's program because that's another finger there. Right. Within the next 12 months, we'll have our young ladies program dialed and ready to go. And then that fifth finger is the educational component. And so we've got about 250 families right now that we lead through home education. Um, But we're also partnering with, I mean, a hundred people. We've got hundreds of applications. We're going to try to whittle it down to to 100 uh, to launch K through 12 coed boys and girls campuses. All across the globe uh, and all of those things are are a part of this so all of those things in the next 12 months the programs that haven't launched the women's the young women's and the schools that's all coming within the next 12 months
1: wow you guys are hitting the ground running that's amazing dude
0: that's yeah, incredible. We, I feel like we just stay running yeah but it's been amazing you know and, and it continues to be amazing because these people are amazing so
1: yeah that's wild yeah it's actually um Part of what you you know you guys are doing, and as I've got more into your work, is actually you know before we started recording, we were talking about where Bianca and I were going to decide to live um, yeah. when we decide to have kids, and what you guys are doing is actually heavily influencing our location determinant because it's stuff like that where I, I feel like it's so important. and there's things that I've learned how to be a man, quote unquote, but I've got sure. there's no role model, role model or any idea how to be a father or a husband sure. versus a boyfriend versus you know, and it's really understanding that structure and um yeah. yeah it's great that you guys have got this i love the, the hand analogy that's fantastic man it's great mm-hmm.
0: yeah it's a lot of fun man
1: sweet so if you could paint us like a, a nice broad brushstroke i'd love to hear kind of like maybe a little bit of a short chronological adventure of how you got here and mm-hmm. i think that as we dive into the meteor stuff it helps also the guys get a bit more context and some credibility about all the amazing work you've done
0: yeah for sure man so um Big, big picture. I turned down a job out of college to to go work at the White House. And, And so in turning down that job, I essentially went, cool, man. Now what? Right? Like, I have no idea who I am or what I'm doing. I'd always been really, really good at school, but school and life are not the same games. So being good at school does not mean you've got life figured out, nor that you're, you know, doesn't mean you're going to be effective in life at all. So um, I graduated and, and really was in kind of like, what the hell am I going to do with my life kind of moment, right? And so um, a couple of odd jobs, but doing my best to do well at those jobs um, led me down this path where I ended up at Stanford University. And so I ended up working at Stanford for uh, for quite a while, and that's really what set the seeds for what we're doing now. So I got to see... A couple of things one i got to see that as bad as i am at almost everything on this planet um one thing i was decent at is is communicating with other humans and doing so in a you know from maybe even from a stage right and and leading other people and um bringing people along on a journey it was something that i had a natural um, affinity for partially because i truly love human beings Um, so i got to see that but i also got to see the game of school from from a very high level I got to see the game for what it was. And so both of those things pushed me into the next direction. So I became a public school teacher because in my naivete, I was going to go you know, change the world by changing the system, right? I didn't know what I didn't know. Um, but I had a great experience as a public school teacher um, as much as I was. In trouble all the time as a public school teacher for not doing what i was told to do i was what i called creatively insubordinate um i still had a very great experience so i was that teacher and then naively i'm like well i'm gonna go fix it now by being a school administrator um, was again, this all
1: I, in stockton or the public school was in stockton yeah were these were in the
0: stockton part of california yes sir you are correct man which if anybody knows anything about Stockton, if you know who the the diaz brothers are nate and nick diaz then you have an idea of what stockton's like man but um but they were rad they were some amazing human beings but i was they were hard 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 kids hard families um so yeah became a public school administrator uh left again naively thinking okay well this is a game that can't be fixed which that part i still know for a fact is true um but naively went to private schools private schools often modeled after public school so i was a, public, a private school teacher and administrator and went okay there's a game being played here too ultimately forcing me to leave to start schools that I wanted for my own kids and as I did that simultaneously a speaking career organically took off. Um, partially I had to make it work and then partially it just sort of took off. And so I began a career speaking to Fortune 500s all over the world while I was building all of these schools. And so those things took off, I started building multiple campuses in California, speaking to every company under the sun, um, wildly successful on the school's side and, you know, a friend of mine, Tim Kennedy, uh, who many of the listeners may know, um, I heard him on a podcast saying he wanted to open a school. So I reached out and I'm like, Hey man, let me show you how, like, let's do this. Let's do it the right way. And so I flew out to Texas, um, we worked out together. He beat me up as he usually does, (laughs) Um, which no surprise if you understand who he is, um, and, uh. We got the school going off the ground there, but we also realized, man, we've got so many good men in our network. What if we do something to serve, not just the kids and build these campuses, let's keep doing this, but what if we dial in and serve the individual populations too? What if we start with our young men and really pour into them and see where it goes from there? Um, and that set us off on the trajectory that we're on now. That's incredible.
1: Yeah, and and what were you speaking to the fortune? Because I bet those that was, that was are quite, very different environments. Like what were, what were you talking to them about?
0: Yeah. They are, but they aren't. So it's all education, right? It, it always it always comes back to education. And again, I say education. Socrates says the beginning of wisdom is the definition of terms. I say education, people think school. We're not talking about school. We're talking about education, which is personal development, which is continuous growth. So as I'm talking to these Fortune 500s, what they were really wanting to know is, okay, in our organization, we have... Five different generations operating side by side in the workplace. That's never happened before. And so what happens is we say something like leadership. We say something like communication. And everybody goes, yeah, we want leadership. Yep, sounds good. We love leadership. But you have five very different definitions of what that is. Because you have five very different generations that have grown up and have a very different understanding of what that means, right? And so that causes a lot of issues. There's big bridges of communication gaps within the workplace. And so a lot of times I was helping the organizations work better together to help lead, manage, um, you know, bring each other along, hire better, uh, maintain that company culture. Sometimes it was selling and marketing to different generations because different generations are going to think about things from a different perspective. So it was all generational-based, but it was all education on how do I grow as a human and how do I bring the others around me, along with me in some fashion or another. So it was really cool, man. Cause sometimes I'm sitting there and it's 10 people in a boardroom and it's, you know, the highest levels of Lockheed Martin one week and the highest levels of American Eagle the next week, right? And like in retail. And then, and then I'm going over to Amazon over here. And then the next week I'm speaking at an association and there's 10,000 people in an auditorium. And then sometimes it's a, you know, so like I got to have all of these different things, but I saw the patterns that were impacting all of them, and it's always people. Wow,
1: wow. Would you mind expanding on that and telling me a bit more about the, the patterns that you saw, and like what were the th- common threads throughout the you know ten thousand to five?
0: Yeah, I mean, the the common thread is that all education ends up being self education, all accountability ends up being self accountability. So people are people are people, right? So there are are you know different perspectives, obviously based on. You know, your age, your, uh, the school you went to, the place you grew up, the parents that you had, um, the culture that you come from, all those things very much impact how you see the world for sure. And so all those things need to be thought about, need to be considered. Um, absolutely. The time, you know, where you were born, when you were born, all of those things are wildly important. But there's also those common threads, those meta skills of we all want to feel like, we're seen. We all want to feel like we've got a purpose. Um, We all have this innate DNA factory setting where we actually want to grow and get better and go achieve something. Now, there's a lot of cultural um, things that can pull us away from that. There's a lot of distractions that can pull us away from that. There's a lot of things that can... You know kind of suck us out of that and i would argue that as we get sucked into the distractions we start to lose those factory settings and that's a problem um, and i think it's a root cause of a lot of people's issues and anxiety right but ultimately that's what we saw is that we were trying to get people back to these factory settings so that they were comfortable with who they were so that they wanted to re- they reminded themselves they wanted to grow they reminded themselves that at the end of the day nobody could force or teach them anything i can't teach josh anything period it's just like saying i gave you this pen josh if you refuse at the end of the day to take it i can't go tell everybody i gave josh a pen because you didn't take it right education always works that way too you've got to be able to own that Um, and so that was always the common thread is how do you inspire people enough to where they remember who they are and then they want to own it To move forward, and then they come together on this group mission, right? Where they're all growing, but then they're on these parallel highways of we're all going the same direction too. It's a fascinating, fascinating topic. So it's you know there's never hurting for work on that side either because people are people are people.
1: Yeah, that's an incredible explanation because it it totally does come back. Like I think about the times where I've tried to learn things because I think I should learn them, and there is like very little desire. Right, And it's like, I it just, just uh-huh. doesn't see, I'm like beating my head against a brick wall, you know, and it's, it's just like, and then, that's right. it's not going to happen, you know? And it's like crazy. It's like almost like no matter how much I, there's no, there's no desire. That's right. And you, like you said, that self-motivation or accountability around it, it's that you're hopeless. You just, and then if you're the teacher and you're just throwing that at somebody and expecting them to just do it, then, then without the motivation behind it, Known, that's right Then right.
0: we're all just in this little dance in this little game right and what we're doing is wasting our freaking time <laughs> yeah. and i've got no desire for that man um, i've got no desire i have very limited time on this earth and in my head it is always now a clock and minutes are either invested or they are wasted period there is no mm-hmm. net neutral in my mind so i have no desire to waste my time or anybody else's you yeah.
1: know yeah I-, I love you you have this beautiful like I wouldn't say control but like use of language like i'm curious where did that come from where you you i guess landed on the importance of words were you like oh words actually have a lot of weight and meaning and, and impact like where did that come from did you always have an interest in it or was there a moment where you were like oh this is worth investing in understanding what these mean and what it means to other people
0: it's a really good question man i appreciate that very much i appreciate the compliment but i appreciate the question uh even more because i get to do five or six or I choose to do, I guess, but I also get the opportunity to do five to six, you know, podcast appearances a week. And, and I don't think I've ever been asked that question. So I appreciate that greatly. Words matter, they matter a lot. Um, and I wouldn't say it was one thing or one solid decision. I'll say it was a culmination of, of many things. Um, one, my obsessive nature about everything. So, uh, <laughs> and then for better or for worse, If I'm gonna do something, I'm going to optimize it to the best of my ability, and that is the way I'm wired. The best thing I can, it freaks people out a little bit when I tell them, and some people don't, but it is what it is. The best thing I can tell you is, in 1999, I remember sitting in a movie theater, uh, and I watched this movie that everybody knows now, and it's called The Matrix. And sort of watching The Matrix, you know, there's this point at the end of the movie. In the theater? In the theater, yeah.
1: (laughs) That must have been a trip.
0: It was a trip. It was absolutely a trip. Um, So watching that there, and I remember at the the very end, Neo all of a sudden sees the agents as like the code, right? And he just kind of sees them as this green coded and everything's just kind of flowing. And he's like, oh, okay. I remember seeing that and going, oh my gosh, somebody put on a screen kind of how I see things in my head. And that sounds a little creepy and it sounds a little weird, but that's always how my mind has worked. I've always and forever looked for patterns, looked for ways to connect things that seemingly shouldn't connect, tried to figure out how to optimize the situations, not just for myself, but for anybody else around me. And we can get, you know, psychologically as deep as we want to get on whatever complex I probably have, and that's fine. But the reality is I'm always looking for those patterns. And in my head, everything is always just kind of doing that, like, kind of down in the screen in my mind. Um, So recognizing patterns has always been a big thing for me. And so inherent in that is I'm always very attentive to the words that I use. I'm very attentive to the words others use. And how much do i believe them how much do the words they say map up map out to the actions uh, that i see them exhibit that's always been something that's been fascinating to me so i've always studied language from that point, right? Not like a, not the phonetics, not the, I, I, my kids do mad libs and they're like, dad, I need an adjective. I'm like, I don't even know what that is. I really, I remind me what that is. I promise you, I don't know. I'm a very good communicator. I'm a very good writer. I don't know the parts of speech. Um, but I'm always just very curious going, okay, they say this and they do this. What do they mean when they're saying this? Are they saying something they really mean? Or are they saying something, you know, I've come to this conclusion that people often, um, will say the things they wish they believed. And then what they do is what they actually believe. And so I'm always curious on how close those are. And, and right, so I've always done that. And so then it was, you know, as I as I really started getting into leading other people and being cognizant of, okay, what are my words? What are the words I can use and how do I use those? so that people aren't just inspired, but it actually gets them to take action. I want them to move. So really, as I started stepping on stages more and more and more and started speaking to all these people, I'm going, okay, what are the differences? So I would analyze every talk and go, did I get people to take action. Did I get them to move? What did I change about what I said or how I said it, right? That's when I really started to just pay more attention to the words that I use and be more careful about it, because I th- words do create your reality, not just outwardly, but inwardly. The words that you tell yourself, right, the stories that you tell yourself, the stories that you tell yourself about the stories you tell yourself, that's what critical thinking actually is. Most people don't do that. They don't analyze the stories they're telling themselves. I don't believe most people think, never mind critically think, because they're not thinking about their thinking. Um, so it's been this continuous journey for me. It's still something I'm fascinated
1: with. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I, I'd love to know, like, for those of us that aren't gifted with the perspective of the matrix like you, how
0: would you suggest someone? With obsession, mate. I do I don't, I don't wanna make it sound like I've got anything special going on because I don't think that's what it is. It's, it's an obsession. It's an optimization of everything obsession. Right? I'm obsessed about my wife. I'm obsessed about my children. I'm obsessed about them in terms of how can I serve them best? How can I watch them so closely that I know what they're thinking before they think it? How can I – and it, it, it's a little bit frightening when nothing is happening at all and my wife's like, oh, you know what? But I know because of where we are, because of a song that's playing, because of a conversation we had earlier, because of what she just ate, because of what – I know what she's thinking and I know what's about to come out of her mouth. I say it first, right? (laughs) And that's creepy, but I only do it because I want to optimize my relationship with her. I wanna serve her to the best of my ability, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not a, I I don't look at it as any kind of special gift. It may be more of a curse than anything else, but it's not special. It's just, that's my thing as as I can obsess around things like that.
1: Yeah, I love it. and, and where do you, like, think that someone... I'd love to dive a bit deeper on that critical thinking piece because I think it's really wow. fascinating is, you, you know, as I started meditating and that was the first experience where I was like, oh, there's like I can actually see my thoughts. You know, it wasn't like I was just in the plow of just, like, yeah. the day. I don't know, you, like like, Sam Harris talks about it as waking up and that's what it literally yeah. feels like. You're, like, actually waking up to what's going on in your head and the world yeah. around you. Like, do you have any suggestions for people to start to you know, more make that, I guess, practice of critical thinking doable, you know, rather than just being a big concept.
0: Sure. I, I, I love that question, man. And, and, um, good on you as far as the meditation. I don't ever, the only reason I don't ever personally, uh, I guess, recommend it is because I know I've not had success with it. I also know a lot of people have had a lot of success with it. And I think that's fantastic. So there's a level, again, all education is self-education, right? And so there's a level of self-awareness to understand that. I, I did my best to go try to uh, sit in one of those, and I won't say try, try as a, as a soft word that I don't even want to use. I did uh, what I believe my best was at laying in one of those what do they call it? The float tanks. The float the tanks. Oh my yeah, God, I hate those the, things. The, just, hate the the sensory stuff. deprivation, right? Man, not for me. That's uh, no. just not my, not not wired for it. Um, that's not where I'm going to get my thinking done. Um, I get m- most of my thinking done through through action, right? That's where my brain is working the best. Is when I'm actually doing something, I'm creating. I start to see those patterns, and I start to you know put things together, but. What you're saying is something different. It's that, that critical thinking. One of the things that, yes, some people can get into it in a meditation and see their thoughts separate. That's the key to critical thinking is understanding that you are not your thoughts, that those are separate and that you have control over whether you engage with those or not. You have control over whether you like it, you don't like it, you want to put it to the side, you want to engage with it. You have control, but it's that separation that people have a hard time with. Now, I understand some people can separate in meditation, and I think that's awesome. Great, do it, dive in. I'm not the guy to tell you how to do that. Here's what I do that has been effective for me, and that I know it's been effective for a number of guys. Write it down so what i mean by that is what is something that is ailing you it's something that is uh worrying you it is something that you know hurts you it's something that annoys you Uh, it's something that really just kind of mentally destroyed you it's something that you're really excited about something that you're super you know uh, like "I'm, i'm really thinking into the future that this could be amazing what doesn't matter whatever that is write out Every single bit of what you think that thought is right now. This is what happened to me. Great. This is what hurt me. Okay, great. Write it out. And I'm talking, write out the details. The devil is in the details. Then he said this. And I remember when my dad said this, I remember feeling like this, that you need to write out every single detail. You get it on paper because what it does, what did you say when you you meditate? You separate the thoughts, right? So when you're writing these things out, you are now literally objectively separating what was in here. You're separating it now, and you're giving it a physical body that is now away from you that you can literally take a look at and go, okay, now I'm looking at this. Now it's not the chaos in my head anymore. It's physically out on paper. So I'm going to go ahead and take a look at that now. And now I'm going to analyze it and I'm going to walk through step by step. And I'm not going to go just read through it really fast. I'm going to read through it line by line, slowly. And I'm going to take a deep breath. And through each line, I'm going to pay attention to my physiological response. Because when I have a physiological response, that lets me know that that's a piece that I need to sit and think about and go, okay, am I putting the right emphasis on this? Is there anything I can do to change this? What do I have to do to accept this? How do I move past this? How do I stop coming back to this? If there's a physiological response, that's usually a good indicator that there's something to sit with for a second and to force yourself to continue to revisit it and to breathe through it so that ultimately you can get past it or transform it to use it in another way. But you've got to get it out on paper first. That's what writing is for.
1: Yeah, I love that. I really like that we went, you know, we both had two different examples of how we go about that. Yeah, and, you know, totally. I think it's, it's fantastic and really I to your too. point of, of uh, educate, self-education yeah. and learning styles. So yeah. I'd love to, like, I think that I, I really want to move, you know, with this vein of action and talk a little bit about like Apogee Strong. And, you know, I've, it's just, I'd love to, if you can share that story about, about going from a paperclip to a truck. And, you know, that kid that did that and just share those these methods of teaching that you guys are doing that are quite different. And then because yeah. I think for a lot of us, you know, myself and entrepreneurs and small business owners and stuff and entrepreneurs, you're kind of like, wow, imagine if I'd done that at like 14, you know, where would I be now is
0: quite That's insane right. to think of. So, yeah, I'd love to you share that to story. It is insane to think of, but what I want people to remember too is, yeah, if you had done that, it, you where could you be now? That's very possible, but also you would still have a lot of other problems too, right? You would still have, <laughs> to, you would still have to be working through those too. You'd yeah. still have to, right? The, the thing is you would just have uh, more of a mentality of being okay with unsure freedom versus like fully laid out slavery, right? More people are, people are usually more comfortable with a very detailed, laid out, fully planned out slavery than they are the unsure freedom, which is why most people will never be free. So you'll still be there. I want to make sure that that's out there. But yeah, so what we, you know, what we do with our young people is we actually have them do things. And I know that's a crazy concept to most people because they're like, no, what do you do to the kids? No, no, no. We have them do something. Right. And it's schooling has taught us that we need to do something to young people in order for them to learn. And the reality is we need to inspire them to go do something on their own, just like we do with adults. They're not practicing to be people, they're people with less practice, right? So that's, they just need to practice. So give them something to practice, give them a goal to go after, inspire them to go do it. That's what these projects and challenges are in Apogee Strong. Every month they've got, yeah, they have readings, that we talk about. Yeah. There's workouts that we can recommend. Yeah. They're going to meet with the best men on the planet and have great conversations. You bet all of those, but it's the work that they're going to do around those projects and challenges that really move the needle. So they've got something to do every month that forces them to get outside their comfort zone and to go do something and reflect on what's happening while they're doing, what kind of things are changing internally and externally. Um, and, and What's the good, the bad, the ugly with that? Because then they can reflect and go, okay, how would I change it for next time? And well, now it's next time. Let's go do it again. Um, That's what growth looks like, right? That's what education looks like. So yeah, one of our challenges is that paperclip challenge. Uh, And it is quite literally starting with a paperclip and you've got 30 days to see what you can trade up to. And you can't call grandma and be like, grandma, I got this challenge. So I'll give you a paper clip, right? And then you can give me a thousand dollars. Yeah. Right. Like I'll give you this paper clip, grandma, if you can give me a stove. Like, no, it's like, no, man, you're going to, you're going to go talk to people. You don't know. You're going to put yourself in an uncomfortable situation. You're going to go door to door. um, And you're going to start to be really intentional on how do you just continue to trade and move this forward. So yeah, we did have one young man who got his first ever truck.
1: <laughs> so trading insane, That's up so from
0: a paper clip, isn't that rad, right? So like, not a bad deal, man. But I mean, I've done this, I've done this with so many young men now, and you see, they're coming back with all kinds of stuff. And I've done this in a shorter term than thirty days. I took a group of students to a mall in the Sacramento area in California, and uh, they had no idea what they were going for. Said, so right, you did, the they
1: didn't know they were doing the
0: paperclip challenge. You just took them. To I had no the- idea what we're doing. Yep, had no idea. I'm like, we're going to the mall. They're like, this is sweet. I'm like, yeah, just wait till <laughs> we get there. So and we, we get there and, and uh, I'm like, all right, man, here's your task. You have three hours. You cannot leave. It's a giant mall, but you can't leave the mall. Um, you can go outside um, and walk around the peripheral part of the mall. Um, or you can stay inside. You can talk to strangers. You can talk to the people working in the stores. You can talk whatever. Here's your paperclip. What can you come back with in three hours? Here's the rules. Here's what you got to, you know, it's got to be a trade. It's got to be this. You got to negotiate this. Like, gave them the rules. In three hours, man, they came back with, I had students that came back with all kinds of clothing. I had one student that came back with a giant neon sign. Um, (laughs) I had a student that came back. I had a student that came back with a functioning cell phone. In three hours. So legendary. <laughs> yeah, man. So think about that experience as a young person. Because in your mind, you just go, that was kind of crazy. Oh, and then I did it. And look what happened. I can do anything. That's the whole point. Is getting people to realize that they've got so much more than they thought they did. So, yeah, it's been pretty rad, man. It's
1: amazing, man. Yeah, I used to... um like my, my first career in, in sales was door-to-door and I was selling uh, like telecom. And so yeah. I was like selling cell phones, TV, internet, and all that stuff. And and then I got into, I did all the onboarding and, and training and stuff like that. <clears throat> and so I, and I was like leading teams and stuff like that, but it was just like crazy. I'd sometimes get, and I was like 23, 24. And some you get kids that are like 17, 18. And it was so wild to like watch their mentality. And like, you just see something change in their in their eyes when they're like, Oh, I can actually just go up to strangers and make like convince them to give me money in exchange for something. And it's just like, you're like, you literally change Like what you said, you're like, I can do anything. Like, you know, it's just this, it's this wild experience. And I think that something that I've done with some friends who are, you know, a little bit more obsessed with this sort of stuff um, like me is like actually going and doing these challenges as an adult. And yep. like hearing something like this, what Matt's talking about and being like, yep. when you actually do these things as an adult, like um, Tim Ferriss talked about this one where it's like, you ask for 10% off at a coffee yep. shop for just no reason. Yep. And sure. you're like talking to the, and they like, can I have 10% off? And the cash register is like, what? And you're like, And don't yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't right. say anything. Yeah, you just don't say anything. Exactly. And, and exactly, man. And it's just like, it's so, it's so great to, I think, I think and it's really important to see these things and, you know, like. Even my first response is like, oh, imagine where I could be, could have been yeah. if I had had this. But it's like, you can just do it now
0: and go exactly. even further, <laughs> you know? That's, and that's the thing that people don't want us, right? So everything we're doing, because what you're talking about is a factory setting. Do kids, you know, do, do toddlers have a hard time coming up and telling you what they want and asking for what they want? They don't until it gets trained out of them. And it gets trained out in any number of ways. It might get trained out by the parents. It definitely gets trained out by school. Um, But it can be trained out in any number of ways. And it's simply a choice to move back to those factory settings. You are under no obligation to be the same person that you were last year. In fact, I would say it's your moral obligation not to be the same person. And, hey, by the way, you're under no obligation to be the same person you were five minutes ago. Yeah. Yeah. decide
1: totally totally yeah it's, it's wild how i uh, think the environment is also huge you know that the importance of like doing it with friends because i've done mm. when i first started doing you know i got into like talking to girls in the street and i was like oh my god that's mm. a thing i was like you can just go and talk to girls i was like it's crazy yeah. and i was like 18 and i remember like i drove uh in sydney there's like kind of sydney you might have heard of bondi beach and i used to live like yeah. north on the other side of the river so i'd ride my motorbike like an hour like all the way across the Sydney Harbour Bridge over to Bondi, where I was having men's group and I went like an hour early. And I went by myself, cause I was like, cool, I'm just gonna go talk to some chicks, grab some numbers, see what happens. And yeah. I just walked around for an hour and a half. I, walked, it was, I set aside an hour and a half, thankfully I bumped into a friend at, hour, the, at the hour mark and I didn't talk to a single person. Yeah. And I was just like shitting myself for 60 yeah. minutes. And then my buddy was like, we bumped into each other. And he's like, oh, you want to go for a swim? I was like, oh, thank God. I was like, let's go for a swim. I was yeah, like, like out of here, yeah. <laughs> But it's like, And then when you go with a group of buddies, it's just yeah. like you've got someone in your ear that's like we made a one, two, three rule where it's like yeah. if they caught you looking at somebody, they'd say one, two, three, and you had to be walking by the time they said three. And it was like, and then you're just moving. And it's like the difference of doing it with friends or in an environment of people that are supporting you versus trying to f- talk against that voice in your head can sometimes be I think the difference between success and failure.
0: Yeah. So there so then if you are an educated person or working towards being an educated person what you're going to do is you're going to analyze yourself continuously and you're going to look for those patterns that cause you to take action as well. Right? What are the patterns? Is it the pattern I need this specific guy around me? I need these guys around me. I need this to be my environment. I need this to be the target. If the target is this, that's when I start to balk. Okay, how do I, right? And you're continuously looking for those patterns to eventually collapse time for you to take action quicker and more efficiently with anything that you want to do. That's what an educated person does. Yeah, totally, man.
1: Yeah, I think, and the, thing, the place that I ended up actually was the one, two, three rule. And so yeah. I took that thing so yeah. that when I was by myself, and I still do it if I don't want yeah. to do something. Like, I had a plunge this morning, and our, our plunge yeah. has been, like, freezing for the yeah. last three days really slowly because we're in a hot climate. And so I haven't plunged for, like, three days. And so coming yeah. back to it after doing it daily, you're like, oh, my God, it's really cold. Yeah. And I was like, one, two, three, go. And I just, like, threw myself in. Yeah. Like basically threw myself into the freezer. And it's, it's like that was the thing. Like, I'm really glad you brought that up. It's, like, yeah, analyzing it and then taking the piece that's actually the motivator and being able to take that through the rest of your life. That's, that's such a good insight. That's right.
0: How do you apply that to other circumstances and other situations? Right. So I'm always mm-hmm. like, I am in my, again, I'm in my head all day, every day. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's a horrifying place, I think for most people, Yeah. <laughs> you know, I really do. But yeah, it's, that's why. Mm,
1: totally, man. Thanks so
0: much for sharing. That it was really cool. So,
1: I'd love to, you touched on something earlier in our conversation that I'd love to come back to, which is the game of schooling. And, you know, we're still on the same vein of education, but what what was when you were looking at it and when you were in it versus in it and out of it as you transitioned, And then now, you you know, you're looking, you were looking out and now you're back in it. Like what was this game that you saw? And then how have you, you know, maybe changed the rules in, the new schooling environment that you're building? Yeah.
0: So the game, I I love that. The game, um, it's really a religious belief that has been thrust upon us. Uh, And so there is this religious, cultural, religious uh, adherence to keeping school looking like the way it looks. Academia is king you have to do certain things at certain times. Everybody uh, grouped together with as many other kids your age as possible. All of uh, you got to go to college uh, because that's what's going to set you up for success. There's so many of these things that are actually the antithesis of human development, the antithesis of real education that's experiential versus having somebody. You know, who's the sage on the stage? There are so many things that are completely outside of how humans have always, whether you think it's you evolved this way or whether you think you've been designed this way, how humans have always operated. We've gone a complete 180, but we've done it for long enough where now what is familiar is confused with what is true, right? People are familiar with that, so they believe it's true. And so what I saw was the very clear uh, separation between familiarity and truth. I saw a lot of young people that I got to work with at Stanford who were extraordinarily academically talented. And then organizations were like, this guy sucked though when he came to work, like he sucked. And then I saw it when I was working with him. I'm like, okay, that's great. He's got his O-chem book and he can tell me like, man, he'll pass that test. I don't even know what he's talking about. Like that's, dude, that's fantastic. But he's miserable. I'm really happy. (laughs) And he's He can't talk to other human beings. I'll talk to anybody. He hates his life. I really like mine. He just asked me how to write a check. And hey, what? Like, that's not hard. You know, so I started to see some of those, again, those patterns of separation. And then I started seeing the game itself at the universe. I, you know, I grew up thinking you want to go to a quote unquote, first I grew up thinking there were quote unquote elite schools, right? Um, that's not true. Um, so like they're, they they're not a, they're, that's a whole nother conversation. Uh, but the application process, well, of course it's a meritocracy. You get your good grades, you get your high SAT scores and, and that's what, you know, And you do your extracurriculars and that's what can get you into college, well, that's not necessarily the case. There's a whole lot of other layers and levels to that whole thing. So, you know, seeing the game there, going into public school, seeing like, hey, I'm, I see what this young man needs. He needs some mentorship. He needs some guidance. He needs to not be selling drugs after school. He needs to not be tempted to join this gang. He needs it. And it's like, no, no, no. He needs algebra. What? That's not what he needs. That's not what he needs. School says he needs that. Education says this is how he's going to grow. Right, and then you go into the public administration, and it's like, okay, this is what this community needs, and this is how we bring everybody together. And it's like, no, 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 we need funding, and you need funding by passing these tests, and you need. So there is just an overwhelming disconnect between what people need to grow and what school sets them up to do. They're two different games. It would be like me telling you to play soccer for 18, 20 years of your life and then getting done. I'm like, sweet, man. You ready for your soccer test? And you're like, yes. And I'm like, cool, here's a chess board. You're like, what? I'm like, yeah, it's a game. It's a game, right? That was a game. This is a game. Same thing, right? No, it's not the freaking same thing. It's not the same thing. School's not the same thing as life either. Um, and it's pretty obvious, but it doesn't matter that it's obvious because it's so ingrained in us as a religion of what everybody needs to do that's what we're battling against
1: really yeah man yeah it's so interesting like it's obvious but it's so ingrained you know what i mean it's, it's like, obvious when you, when you look think. at it and you have a conversation and then we go back to our life like you could have a, i can imagine two people having this conversation like uh-huh. agree 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 and then they just go back uh-huh. and do the same thing they go back and play soccer again and it's like bingo
0: words are what yeah. they wish they believe mm. actions are what they actually believe yeah man. or are too afraid so they just live in the lie right so maybe that i'll have conversations with people who will logically go oh my god yeah you're right okay yep you're right but it's more comfortable to live the lie than it is to ask more questions and to dive into the truth. Because what happens is if I start to actually dive into the truth and want to live according to the truth, well, it's not familiar to other people and it's very uncomfortable for them. So it's like, wait, what if I decided to homeschool my kids? What if I decided to home educate my kids? Ooh, my mom is really going to give me some grief. Because she's going to think that, like, I'm not doing things right. She's really going to, ah, the people next door are going to think I'm a really bad parent. I remember growing up thinking homeschool kids are all weird. So I'm going to be, what if my, oh man, my kids are going to be, are they going to be weird? Um, oh, that's going to really piss off my wife. Oh God, that's really going to. And because all of those strings are too, like, they don't want those to unravel. It's like, oh, I'll just live in the lie. I'll live in the lie. Uh, forget I ever even thought it. I'm going to live in the lie. I'm sure they'll turn out fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's the majority of people would rather live in those uncomfortable lies, even yes. if they've seen the truth. I'm sure it'll be fine. That'll be fine. I'm sure. I'm sure it'll be good. I'm total, it'll totally, be good. Because otherwise, I can't think otherwise. Other, you know, otherwise, I'm going to be forced to actually have to take some action and shit can go sideways.
1: Oh my goodness. So I'd love to, if you can, just maybe do a one, two, three of the game, you know, that you saw in school versus the things that you've changed, you know, so someone who doesn't understand, you know, your world, and these are types of education, so they can get a picture of a, a quick comparison, and then they can maybe see some really quick differences there. Is that is that question? Yeah,
0: correct? yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, so, There's a there's a number of things that we do differently. One school says academia is the thing to put you on a pedestal to get you ready for an eventual experience. Um, We look and go, no, 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 let's give you the actual experience. And then eventually, if you decide to attach academia to that, you can Right? So school says, hey, we're going to teach you all about socket wrenches. Do you care about socket wrenches? No. All right, well, shit, we're gonna do it anyways. Um, so here's a socket wrench. Here's a frickin' spark plug. Here's a frickin' re- belt. I. You can tell I know nothing about cars and engines because I don't care. Um, so, but school's like, doesn't matter. We're gonna teach you all about those parts anyways. So that someday you can tell everybody you fixed an engine. And everybody's like, all I did was make a trifold board about a fucking socket wrench. And now I'm educated? Like, what? What are you talking about, right? So we go, hey, here's an engine to be fixed. If you're excited about that, cool. Let's go fix it. And in the context of that, you have to be like, um, I need something to turn this. And you're like, oh, okay, well... Here's this thing, it's called a socket wrench, but go ahead and put it to to, you. Now you have an idea, right? So we go experience first based on interest and then the academia part will get tied to that because now it has something to be rooted to and it matters and they care. That's a different, so it's a a completely opposite approach to that, whereas school's like, no, just the academia and you probably actually won't even really have the experience. Um, Another big difference is school is, uh, hey, We're going to assume you suck, you know nothing, and you can control nothing. So we're going to control you and tell you what to do, when to do it. Blind obedience is what you need. As long as you can blindly obey for a long time and you play our game and we're going to dangle your carrots, we'll give you this little mark on a a piece of paper that says you did a good job and you'll make a great employee someday, son. Right? So school does that. We take the opposite approach and go, you've got massive amounts of responsibility right now. You are going to be responsible for taking this on. We're going to lay out these cool challenges and opportunities. We're not going to force you to do any of them. Not going to get to move on on anything, but it's going to be, you. if you want to get better, how can we help you get better? How can we come alongside you as a coach rather than being the person doing something to you? How can I be like, man, Josh, dude, what do you, let's, Start. You want to start a podcast? Let's start a podcast. I've started a podcast. Like, let's start a podcast. Let's dive in. What do you think, man? Who do you want to get on? What do you want to do? Cool, man. Like, let's build out the equipment. How do we, what's next? Well, I want to get guests. How do we do that, man? Let's do this together. Like, let's figure this out, right? We just take a very different approach um, in terms of, in terms of that. So it's an opposite approach. It's not about obedience. It's about collaboration. Um, That's a huge, that's a huge difference. Um, Another huge difference. School says, I mean, I can give you so freaking many. Um, school says. We'll cap it at three. Yeah, I know. And so I'm keeping the thumb. I'm going to the third one right here. <laughs> school says, hey, students, you guys come here. We're going to do things to you, right? Um, parents, trust us. Stay out. You can be on the PTA if you want. Um, you know, you can drive some kids to a field trip if you want. You want to be a chaperone? You can be a chaperone. But this is what we're going to do. Don't question the. What we're doing here. Education says, hey, parents, here's exactly what they're doing. We'd love for your insight. We'd love for you to help on this. Um, but also, we want to take you on a, a journey of growth yourself because if we're talking about growth mindset for these kids all day and they go home and you're not on a journey, well, that actually is counterproductive to what we're trying to do. So at our campuses, I'll remember all those fingers, right? Well, our young students are going through all their projects and their challenges and they're doing their, and Hey, so are their parents. Yeah. It's everybody. The whole family is going to grow together at the same time. So So we care about the entire family. We don't, you know, schools like to say, we want to educate the whole child, you know, in the holistic experience, the whole child. Okay, cool. Well then you better make sure their parents are on a journey too, because that's part of that whole child developing is their relationship with the family. So let's make sure the family is as strong as it can be. Right? Let's make sure if you want to educate the whole child, physical education matters. Actually being in shape and understanding what it means to be healthy matters. Being sick and anxious is not the factory setting of a human. I haven't even had a freaking cold in, in a decade. Like it's possible to be really really healthy. That's actually the factory setting. It's actually the default. It's not the. it's not what we're, you know, we're not supposed to be sick. So let's talk to our kids about that and let's make sure they're physically capable. Like, you know, so we're think about what school does you can pretty much guarantee we're doing the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great bow great to put it in for sure. Yeah. It's so
1: interesting. I, I remember thinking about my school experience and I, I hated school. I like, hated yeah. it. I was always in trouble. My brother got yeah. expelled from our school. I nearly got expelled from our school. You know, we were both like, yeah, I moved out of home when I was 16, you know, cause I was being too naughty, um, yeah. trying to escape my mom. And like, yep. I had this teacher, an aviation, I was randomly, like not, a, not a very big school, had a teacher who was able to teach aviation. And so we learned how to like fly planes and stuff, which is wild considering like I was in random, middle of wow. nowhere in, West, in Western Australia. And Mr. Murray, he was this giant, like, like jacked Scottish dude. And he would like take, he would drive us like to like a town, like a kind of city that was like 30 plus minutes away. And we lived like 30 minutes south of the school. So he'd drive us 30 minutes north. And we'd like, I'd stay at his place. And, like, he would take us flying and just, like, I learned so much from this guy. I, I learned more life lessons that I've taken and, and improved my life and I've gotten so much from my life because of this one teacher who sounds quite similar to you when you're in Stockton. It was just, like, he, he was getting in... He got in trouble from all the other teachers and the school board and all this other stuff. And he was, like, he would, like, ride a motorbike to school and then he would, like... he was <laughs> I mean, shout out to Mr. Murray. Hopefully this doesn't get even... <laughs> a really funny story. He, like... He was like, Oh, the way to escape the cops is like they don't, they can't see your license plate if you're going super fast on a motorbike. So you have a second helmet. And he's like, So if the cops start chasing you, you just go down a back street and then switch helmets and drive straight past them. And I was like, I didn't learn the lesson to speed, but I was like, Oh, this is a guy that like is just like dynamic and like knows how to do things on the fly. And like, even though it wasn't a good behavior, I just, I actually respected him because he was being honest with me rather than him being like this perfect, prismed person, you know, and like, he had this discipline of he would like before dinner and I was like raised going to church and that sort of stuff, but definitely like I threw that away in my adolescence. But before dinner, he would take out the Bible and he would read a passage. And I was like, I just remember like watching him at his dinner table and just being like, Oh wow, this guy has discipline. And it was just like a moment that like it, that moment taught me so much about discipline rather than people telling me what discipline is. And it was like such a random I'm like in the bush, like, you know, I, if you think of Australia, it's like pretty remote where I grew up and like, you know, this guy just like gave me time. He gave me focus. He gave me attention. He didn't take my bullshit. And yeah. he just like, I learned those lessons have stuck with me for my entire adulthood, you know? And it's so like right. the time, it. amount of time that he actually spent with me right. outside of school compared to like my parents was yeah.
0: pretty small, you know? Yeah. But it was like... Yeah pretty well impactful that's rad man i love that so he was an example first for foremost. that's any educator has to has to be that they've got to be the example of what they're expecting right and so that's from a parental standpoint because you're the primary educator for your young kids and that's from a you know if you want to actually want to work as a functional educator in some sort of professional environment you being that example matters all the time you need to be the person you want them to be period end of story right that's like that's that's the biggest thing but then you can pull so many life lessons when we're talking about education and what it means to be educated. Everybody's going to have different interests. And so people say, well, gosh, how can you really, you know, get down to the individualization for each person? Well, there are those meta things, those meta skills that everybody everybody needs the ability to, to communicate. Everybody needs the ability to think through patterns. So let's define what those meta skills are for you. And then we use our interests to still teach those meta skills over everything else, right? <clears throat> the life lessons that you learn flying planes, I've never flown a plane, I don't know anything about flying a plane, but I can get the same life lesson through something else. I've stepped, you know, I've, I got to fight in the cage nine times. Cool, I can pull a lot of life lessons really? out of that. <laughs> That's yeah. crazy. I've, yeah. so I've, I can take those lessons and I can apply, when my daughter, uh, I've never ridden horses like her, but she's 12 and she's got two jobs teaching people to ride horses and she rides horses every single week cool, there are lessons that she learns riding horses that I learned by getting beat up that I can, like, we can all, right? Same lesson, just a different medium to impart it. And that's a beautiful thing.
1: Yeah, man. Yeah, it's crazy how much, like, I think attention as a young kid and even as an adult, like, I, I work with this, uh, this guy who's just incredible, you know, Tristan, and the, we talk every single day. Like I'm his head guy for, for sales and we talk every single day. So the weekend he's like, Hey man, 15 minute check-in. And he's just like, it's one of those things where I feel like sometimes we, I, my, or my, myself, like sometimes I've looked back in periods of my life at my development and like what we were talking about how early you can go and do these paperclip challenges now as an adult, like it's not over, you know, it's just because you're an adult. It doesn't mean you can't stop learning and growing and like you said, make that decision to change. And Tristan was like making an example of, he's like, dude, he's like, he's got friends in the space, you know, that are similar size company to him. And he's like, he's like, yeah, they talk three times a week. He's like, you and I talk every single day. And he's like, think about the difference that makes over a year versus the guys who talk three times, you know, three times a week with their boss. And I was just like, and it just made me, I was like, wow, I just doubled down on like, You know, I do objection handling with a friend of mine who's doing something else. And I was like, okay, man, we're chatting every single day. And it just like, it was a moment where I learned something and I implemented it. And that's going to stick with me for the rest of my life at 30. You know, instead of it being like looking back and being like, oh, yeah, I wish I'd learned X, Y, Z when I was younger. It's like, you can still learn and change
0: and and grow. You know? It's exactly it, man. Most people think there's like these, there's a time limit there's specific boxes, like totally. boxes to be checked in a certain order at a certain time. And once I get past that, well, I'm all done. And that's as educated as I'm going to get. No, dude, mm-hmm. you're not talking about going back to school. It is a nonstop thing. You're growing or you're dying. It's one of those pick.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's better to be what is it green and growing than to be ripe and rotten. That's, a, that's, that's right. A for exactly goes. right. Yeah, I like that. Uh, I like to, you know, I think the role models that I've talked about are often, you know, men, and it's like as, as an adolescence and even as a man growing up, you know, I was explaining, I spent a lot of time in men's groups. It's like, it's been a pivotal thing for me to change, you know, some bad behaviors that I had, but also like to elevate me to a new level. You know, I'd love to just start this next part of our conversation with a broad, broad brushstroke of, you know, the importance of having men in one's life, you know, cause that wasn't a thing for me until I was like 21. And then now it's become like a necessity And I think that a lot of guys, like some friends that I've made, you know, they're like, you know, and then I've introduced to men's group and stuff like that, which I try and do with, you know, as many guys as possible is like, they're like, well, dude, I didn't even know I was missing this, you know, and like, I'd love you to just, if you can just share, like, yeah, the importance that you see in it, and then we can dive down to some nuances.
0: Yeah, I mean, again, from a, from a logical standpoint, right, if you, if you've got. You know, a bunch of people that are gathering together, a bunch of kids that are gathering together, and they're all playing games like that's great. And we can all play uh, various games at different times all around each other. And that's cool. And There's an element of socialization. I'm over here playing soccer. You're over here hitting the baseball. You're over, you know, like guys are over here shooting hoops. And like, that's cool, man. That's awesome. At some point, it's really fun if everybody's playing the same game because you can all work on getting better together. Right. You can all come together as a team and actually get really, really good at that game. Um, and one of the things that I think culturally we have a hard time acknowledging is that, look, yeah, everybody's in this life. Everybody's moving things forward, everything. But there's there are different games played within the bigger game of life. Life is different for men than it is for women. Life is different for young men than it is for... Like th- those things are okay to acknowledge. So one of the best things we can do is to get with other people who are in roughly that same time of life and go, okay, man, let's play this together. How do we think we can play this really, really well? And then let's hold each other kind it's that one, two, three principle, right? It's a little easier to hold that one, two, three when you got another guy next to you because you don't want to let him down. And you've decided, so sometimes our, you know, our propensity to want to make sure I don't let somebody else down, like we'll talk ourselves out of, you know, doing anything for ourselves, but we won't want to let our buddy down, right? And so like, there's value in that. And so, you know, we're putting these men together so that they're all playing the same game at the same time in their own arena, and then they're coming back together and they're going, okay, this is what I did. This is how it worked. This did not work. What did you guys do? Somebody's like, well, this was my experience. This is how I did. it." it's like, oh, okay, let me try that, right? And so it just creates this environment of uh, of support. You realize you're not alone. You're not a weirdo. You're not thinking about things crazy because, shit, there's 20 other guys, 50 other guys, 100 other guys that are thinking the same kind of stuff. They're dealing with the same issues. They're still with the same problems. Some of them have tried some things that have actually worked that I never would have thought of. Cool, man, now I'm going to go think of that, right? So you're all in that game together, man, and it just makes you a more effective human.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, like, I think that one of the biggest things, I had a friend of mine, Jake, back in Australia, and he was like, I never, he's like, I walk around with this level of confidence and, that I have because I have the support of the men around me, mm-hmm. and I look at other men in the street, and I'm like, wow, how did I ever live like that? like mm. how was i how did i even have confidence you know because uh-huh. i didn't i didn't realize how alone i was you know and mm-hmm. it's like it's the the friendships that i've gotten from group that are now you know even guys that i'm not in group anymore because i've moved from australia mm-hmm. to canada to here or whatever it's like there's a rich friendships that i'm going to keep for life because i think there's a there's a level of commitment that we often don't see and it's so easy to disengage nowadays yeah. and just kind of drift off without even saying I'm disengaging and leaving. Whereas, like when you're, you know, you can just stop replying and fade off into the ether, and no one hears you again. Hears of you again, and it's like there's something about showing up every week or whatever you know time frame you've committed to, and then the fact that you can't leave without a challenge. I think is is like pretty wildly impactful because I've had time period of times where I'm like, fuck this. Group stupid. <laughs> I fucking hate these people. You know what I mean? It's just like, but the fact that we've all, like he said, we've all gone through it. Everybody goes through it. And the fact that everyone sticks through it through time, I think builds a level of trust that was just, it's next to impossible to replicate these days. Yeah. You know, unless, you, unless you're in uh, like, you know, fighting together, you're in right. the army, you're in the police force, right. like those, you know, that's, right. you have to well, go that's... and hand in a resignation. Whereas with friendships nowadays, you don't, you don't have to say, mm-hmm. Hey guys, here's why I'm leaving. Right. You can just peace, <laughs> back off and
0: disappear. Yep, yeah. totally, man. And look, you know, guys can can potentially do that too. But you alluded to something that you know it's it's in our design. Uh, again, men and women are different, and there's um, you know I'll talk about the fact that women um, are, are able to think their way sometimes better than than we are into new ways of acting, whereas men have to act their ways into new ways of thinking. And it's it's a pretty cool design in that way. We need to be able to take action. But in that process, you know, women, again, have a very, um, have an easier time traditionally. Again, there's some things that men can, that men, you know, some men do better than others and that are more on the fem, quote unquote feminine trait and vice versa. But the reality is women usually do a better job of that face-to-face conversation. Let's talk, let's talk through our issues. Let's get all these things out. Let's do this, whereas guys, Can we do that? Of course we can do that. But we tend to want to go, okay, let's not do this face to face. Let's go side by side. Let's go do something together. Let's go tackle something together. Let's go create something together. Let's go beat something together. Let's go, you know, kill something together. Let's go like, we want to go do something together, right? It's how we're designed. Um, And so when you have just a group of guys that are on a joint mission like that, it can be a really, really powerful thing. And it 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 does become a hard thing to walk away from too because you're also walking away from whatever this joint mission is right and that goes against our dna too well,
1: Totally. would you mind like sharing a little bit about maybe i think we what, we, what we've talked about are all, all parts of what you and i think are a good life is like you know good education good friends good family that sort of stuff has that changed since you when you were 20 versus now like what what you are looking you
0: know what you see as a good life and could you share oh, that you share goodness life? gracious yeah it's it's changed drastic you know it's really funny man i found these uh um found these journals yesterday um oh, crazy and there are journals they're yeah. they're journals that my my wife and i when we started dating uh like 18 years ago started how writing how old were you guys? It, uh, so 18 years ago 25 and 21 crazy right? so we were 25 and 21 and we would started we would started uh we started dating and getting to know each other, and, and so we started asking each other in these journals all these questions about, you know, the ideal the ideal life and our, all of our hopes and dreams and all the things we wanted to do, right? And so we're kind of laying all this stuff out, and it was really cool, man, to go back and take a look and go, oh, okay, well, that, that sort of, that idealistic version sort of stayed true. Like, we still are kind of on that page in, in terms of, you know, there was a, both of us kind of were like, Oh, we'd love to live in like a mountainous region with a lot of trees, you know, like it was, and we lived in, we were, you know, Bay area city kids. Right. But both of us were like, Ooh, that's really cool. We live on a freaking farm in the mountains. Now um, I'm surrounded by thousands of trees. Right. And so like, it was cool to see all that kind of stuff. So see those similarities, but there were so many things that were also just a product of not knowing we didn't know. Right. We had the the specific jobs that we thought we wanted to have. And we had the specific neighborhoods and the specific houses and the specific, right? We're dreaming about all these things as these two city kids that have always lived in the city that live in the suburbs. And, um, now a good life for us has everything to do with sovereignty and freedom. And I mean that in every fashion, I want to be able to do what I want to do when I want to do it with whoever I want to do it with. And so does she. And what that means is, how can we uh, not need to be tied to anything? Part of the reason we moved to this farm is because we want to be able to be self sufficient. That's great. There's grocery stores down the road. Cool, man. Awesome. I think that's a fantastic thing. What happens if those don't exist anymore? I don't want it to matter. what happens if those shut down because you know whatever COVID 46 and everybody's gonna freak out and everybody like cool sounds good so let's shut it down and we're gonna whatever man i don't want to be tied to it i don't want to have to worry about that i don't want to worry about providing for my wife and my children if something like that happens i don't want to be tied to anything that i don't want to be tied to and all i want to be tied to is them so that's what a good life is now how self-sufficient can we be how sovereign can we be how free can we be that's cool
1: that's epic and and i think that something that you mentioned earlier that i'd love to bring back was how many cage fights did you have nine nine (laughs) i'm I'm so jealous i've had one too many uh severe concussions to to you know go into striking i do a lot of jiu-jitsu and um you know like hitting the pads and stuff like that but um did can you tell me a little bit about that like what inspired you to do that in the first place and then how are those experiences? Yeah, it
0: was a freaking great experience. Because that's living. Uh, up, that's yeah, living. Dude, 100%. 100%. So I grew up um, with boxing. So that was something I got into at a young age. Um, so, you know, that was that was something I had always enjoyed. And that was just simply a product of I grew up in the 80s. And it was like Bruce Lee movies and, and you know, like Jean-Claude Van Damme and all those. Like, oh, man, I, I want to do that, right? So um, and I was very fortunate. The world... Actually, there's a movie with Jean Claude Van Damme where there's a guy who plays his brother, um, who was my coach because he was the world heavyweight kickboxing champion. Yeah. And he was from my hometown in California. So, um, so I started training with him as a young kid. So, um, you know, kickboxing was something I had always done and I always enjoyed that. And I always leaned, you know, I tended to lean aggressive and, and I enjoyed physical combat and I enjoyed fighting. And, um, sometimes that was not a good thing when it wasn't done in the ring. But, you know, it's a product of being a knucklehead kid. And, um, so I'd enjoy that, but I was in college, um, hadn't been doing anything really competitively kickboxing wise and not a whole lot um, while I was in college and working to put myself through school. But I walked by these mats and I knew what the UFC was at that point. Cause it was, you know, that had, had become a thing. And so I'd watched and I'm like, man, this is kind of crazy. And, uh, walked by a, a mat room, um, like our old wrestling mat room, uh, at the, at the campus one day. And I looked in and I see these guys and they're, they're grappling and they're doing, you know, jujitsu, which wasn't. There wasn't a jiu-jitsu school on every corner like there is now, right? It wasn't even really still a very few people even knew what the UFC was at that point. And it's crazy um, that you just
1: walked past like that happening. That's
0: what well. I walked past it. I was in while well, I was a kinesiology major, so I was in like these sports halls, you know, a lot on campus, right? And so I walked past and these dudes are are just grappling and they're getting at it. And I'm like, whoa. Oh. I'm like, that's pretty rad. Also, dude, I can fight, right? Like, I can, I'm i going to go in there and, like, see if these guys will let me. I'm going to show them what's going on, right? Yeah. And so I go in there and and uh, just got my ass beat, man. And it was just like these guys just turned me into a freaking pretzel. And I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, I need more of this. Like, why, like this is fantastic. So it turns out these guys um, were – one of them was part of the original lions den group like Ken Shamrock's uh right. lions den team right <laughs> so he was one of those guys and he lived out there now and then another guy um actually went on he had done some amateur fights and he went on to fight for um AKA out of San Jose for Javier Mendez's crew um back in the day so there was they were, they were studs man and so um I just I got connected through that, and so I you know graduated college, and once I had turned down that job at the White House and and started working those odd jobs, I was in the Bay Area, and uh, saw that Frank Shamrock had a school out there, and was just like, all right, man, I got to get out there and go train with him. Like this is rad; he's a Whoa. UFC champ. Like I need to get out there and go do it. So I went out there and started training with Frank. <laughs> those guys were massive. <laughs> they were and they were freaking i can't imagine
1: what it would have been like in person you're like you just like
0: oh they're savages man savages great guys um but savages um and so yeah i was training with frank um and uh just you know was was having a great time was learning the jiu-jitsu game reinvigorated on the striking side and was just learning how to put it all together and um there was a tryout for ken was wanting to relaunch the new lions dan and so he was uh having a tryout at his house in california and he kind of put it out there and i was like hmm, i'm gonna go maybe try out for this so i, I applied <laughs> i love and- that it's at his yeah. house <laughs> it, is, it was partially at his house and then the gym out there as well but yeah it was partially at his property um that was the first part of it and so uh i applied to go out there and i got the the okay to go out so i'm like oh hey cool man i'm gonna go out there and try out for this but then i get this phone call while i'm at work and uh, i answer the phone and he says yeah oh, this is ken shamrock and i'm like this is who he's like this is ken Channel. i'm like holy shit, you know i'm like because i'd watch this guy in the ufc and i'm like oh my gosh and i'm training with your brother and he's like yeah it's awesome man he's like you're gonna come out for the tryout and i'm like yeah he's like okay you understand there's gonna be a you know you're gonna be fighting that day like you're actually gonna be fighting that day i'm like okay okay yeah i i yes, didn't sir. know if i understood <laughs> yeah, that or not it sounds good yeah. like sounds you know sounds great and he's like um but actually you know would you be able to how much do you weigh right now and i'm like oh you know i weigh like 100 and, i'm like 180 right now he's like cool can you make 170 by um friday and i was like i guess why he's like i'd actually like you to f- i'm gonna do a promotion the night before so i'd actually like you to fight on that card the night before so we can see what's going on and then we'll come do the tryout the next day i'm like oh you want me to go fight the night before i go fight a bunch of times like sounds good sign me up so um what so day was uh, this? what day was so that? this was like on a monday so <laughs> monday, i was like All right. 10 pounds four days gotcha i gotta just go go cut it and get off work on friday To be up there for the weigh-in to go fight on Saturday, to go to his house on Sunday for the trial. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so I got out there and and so I had my first fight under his promotion, um, that, that weekend. Uh, How did that feel? Horrible. I mean, it felt great. You know, it was fun. It was cool. It was cool getting the phone call from, you know, a guy that I looked up to, it was cool. Like that all was cool. But the weight cut was horrible. I didn't know what I was doing. Like, the yeah, nerve. So what, what did you do? Like, what did you give the I, I just stopped eating. I, I, just stopped eating. <laughs> I just stopped eating. I was like, I'm just not going to eat. Like, that's great. And then turns out, you know, this promotion was being held in a part of California that's at the altitude is like 6,000 feet. Crazy. Um, so, a bad weight cut going up 6,000 feet. Um, just getting there. Like, I cut too much weight. I actually got down to 163. Uh, <laughs> Seriously? Yeah, and I was I like, oh, I, felt go, That's terrible. <laughs> I felt horrible. So then I go step and I didn't know who you know, this was back in the day, like there was no I found out who I was fighting at the weigh in, you know, and he's this guy, he's a freaking a Mongol, so he's in a biker gang, and so it's him and a bunch of his biker gang <laughs> buddies, and I'm like, Well, this sucks. I'm like this preppy kid that works at Abercrombie and Fitch. Like, all right, cool, sounds good. So we get on the scale, and You're I'm just like, I'm malnourished. Yeah, dude, I'm just malnourished. He's all tatted up. I'm like, well, this is gonna suck, you know? And like, oh my god. But dude. but the promotion. It's Ken Shamrock throwing it. Bruce Buffer is our is our announcer. Crazy. Like, that's so funny. Randy Couture is ringside. Boss Rootin is ringside. Guy Metzger's is ringside. Like, dude, I'm like, dude, this is great. Like, I'm just gonna get at it. Like, let's rock and roll. <laughs> yes. Let's see what happens. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. So that's the best. So let's get after it. Let's do it. You know. But that's one of those things, man, where you look back and you're like, dude, oh my God. I'm so glad that I did it. You know, and you learn a lot about yourself in um, all of those kind of things. And you come out and just the the noise on anything else that seems to be stressful just gets turned down a little mm. bit. You know, the more you step into those things, the more you go. All right, man. Everything's gonna be all right. Let's see what happens. Let's give it a freaking roll. Wow,
1: wow, that's incredible. I mean, you obviously enjoyed it. You went and did eight more, right? It's Like, yeah, man. yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, far yeah, out. Cool. Far out. I can only imagine, dude. That the intensity must have just been so wild.
0: You know, oh, it was. It was like... intense, man. And I was, you know, it, the weight cut plus the. Just the nerves plus the altitude. Like, I was toast before I even went out there, just warming up in the back. I'm like, I'm done. I'm spent. Fuck. How did uh, you go in that first one? Uh, so, I mean, I thought, I look back at it and I'm like, Dylan, because I mean, I have the DVD of it too. And so I'm like, oh, my get out
1: God. of town. Really?
0: Oh, yeah. No, I have the DVD oh, of it. So it's sick. like, I just showed my kids not too long ago. It was fun. Um, but yeah, man, like, you can tell I'm toast. I go out there. It's like just piss poor striking. He takes me down pretty easily. Um, I, I end up getting decent position, and I tried to start throwing some blows from the top. And I just remember being on top of him, just being like trying to drop elbows and stuff. And I'm just like, I could die right now. I'm so tired. So tired. Like, I bet. I'm dude. just so, be so toast, close. you know. And so, um, but the round ended. Uh, round ended on his feet. And so we ended, we go into the second round and my corner man was so wrapped up into what was going on. He didn't pull out my chair. So like, I just sat down in the corner of the ring. Um, I was just done, dude. I didn't want to go back out there just because I was so tired, but went back out. Um, and again, got taken down immediately. And the dude started dropping bombs on me, but, um, I had very limited jujitsu, but I was able to throw, slap a triangle while he was pounding me. So I actually submitted him in the second round. Oh, um, my God. So got, dude, seriously? So, yeah. And so then at that point, once I did that and I saw, I, I locked it in and I'm like, I think I have this tight. Oh you know, and I, and I pulled his head and pulled his arm and I'm like, no, this is tight. And then I felt him tap. And at that point, I wasn't tired anymore. You know, it was just like, whoosh. Jump up, and I'm like, can't wait to do this again, you know. (laughs) And Ken's like, yeah. Ken's like, congratulations, (laughs) you're doing this tomorrow. And I'm like, that seems a little too soon, but (laughs) it's all good. Let's do it anyways. So, yeah, it was cool, man.
1: Wow, man. Wow, I can't. I just like I've had that feeling of exhaustion when you're just bonking and you're just dying. Like I can't imagine having to do that while fighting
0: somebody. (laughs) Like
1: that would just be so nuts.
0: Uh, uh, worse. But so yeah, nice, but it was cool, man. Dude. That's epic. it was cool. And actually Oops. to tell you the truth, I still talk to the uh that guy that I fought that day too. I don't talk to him a lot, but um we follow each other on you know on social media and sick that's touch a little bit. He's still in a biker, you know, a biker gang and he's still he's a very dangerous human being, but um there's there's just mutual respect there when you totally. when you have that combat, You know yeah, what I mean? Man. So absolutely, man.